0: Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Fiona Pathiraja, the Health Tech VC. On this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with ambitious startups, outstanding investors, and visionary leaders in health tech. This week's guest is Pam Garside, who is one of the most well-connected people in healthcare in the UK. Pam has an incredible portfolio career. She's a healthcare management consultant by background. She's an angel investor and also founder of the Cambridge Health Network, which is a membership group of senior health leaders in the UK. Pam is also a fellow of Judge Business School at the University of Cambridge and a member of the Investment Committee of Cambridge Enterprise, which is the technology transfer component of Cambridge University. As a prolific health tech angel investor, Pam has a portfolio of 18 health tech companies and is part of Cambridge Angels, which is a prestigious angel investor network based in Cambridge. Pam's well known in the ecosystem as somebody who's really smart money in health tech, as she couples her deep knowledge of healthcare and health tech with her incredible transatlantic network to really help entrepreneurs that she invests in. Pam, welcome to the Health Tech VC podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Great to be here. You've had this incredibly varied career path and you started off in NHS management and then to consulting and now investing. It would be great if you could talk about how you've ended up in health tech and angel investing. Yeah, sure.
1: I did a science degree and then I went on the graduate training program for NHS hospital administration. It's relevant because a lot of people around the NHS who either run it, like Simon Stevens, or run hospitals or systems, did it, but I avoided managing anything really and I got the scholarship to go to do graduate studies in the States, and I did my degree and then worked over in the U.S. for 10 years, and that possibly contributed to awakening a sort of more commercial side of healthcare, although I don't like the American system much. I, I ended up in consulting internationally in the U.S., and I started consulting here, mostly with the NHS, and then increasingly with the private sector who were wanting to access the NHS, American companies, Australian companies, etc. And a very commercial friend of mine in health said, get some equity in one of these companies. But I asked for equity instead of fees in a company that was doing teleradiology. And nine years later, I think nine years is a a key, a lot of companies seem to exit after that period. (laughs) It sold. And I thought, hooray, it's all going to be like this, dead easy. Uh, I was wrong on that. But (laughs) Having been given equity, I started to risk small amounts of money investing in companies where I really liked the founders. And this is a story against myself where the second company I invested in was in the US, Mm. a company called Wellframe, because I didn't know about the EIS tax relief at the time. Yeah. It's doing very well, fortunately. But then I started to find out about angel investing and how it works and and particularly how it works in the UK. Ten years ago I was doing a lot of consulting and advisory work, again, mostly in the private sector, and now I'm pretty much half my time or more working with entrepreneurs, angel investing, helping startups, helping accelerators, and then I sit on boards. So I do much less advisory and more with startups in health tech, and every one of my investments except one is in the health domain or sector.
0: Gosh, so you're really specific on healthcare, which is really interesting, because not all angel investors have a sector focus, so what drew you to health in the first place?
1: That's all I know about, really, because I've <laughs> I spent my entire career in health systems, Yeah, and I suppose I watched digital health grow. When I first joined Cambridge Angels four years ago, they kept saying I was, oh, your life sciences panel, I'd say, no, I'm not life sciences, that's different, life sciences and biotech, which interestingly is where Cambridge Angels, of course, would focus because of life sciences in Cambridge University. I are much more in the digital health space and tech enabled service delivery. So. I call myself digital health, but really, Fiona, it's because it's all I know. I don't know about quantum technology and quantum computing, or particularly about AI or engineering and other sectors, but I do know about health. And I think if you're an angel investor and you stick to your field, I believe you've got a better chance of success. It's axiomatic, isn't it? It makes sense, really. So I wouldn't feel comfortable because I don't know the parameters of the sectors, really.
0: And obviously, any kind of investing can be risky. So if there's anybody out there thinking, you know what is angel investing really, how do I get into it?" Do you have any tips for that? Yeah, um
1: I, I do talk sometimes to groups of women because the UK Business Angel Association wants to get more women into angel investing. It's a lamentably low percentage of angel investors are women. You don't actually need to be hugely wealthy. You have to know that you have a proportion of your income that you can risk. And I only invest small amounts, not massive amounts. But if you say you've got your assets and your house and your savings and whatever, and if you have some spare money and you're willing to take a risk, it's actually very good fun. But you have to accept the fact that you might lose that money you may make gains and some people say one in 20 companies you'll make a game from. I've got a better track record than that. Maybe it's because I've (laughs) stuck to health. Also, I believe you have to be interested in young people and entrepreneurs Mm. because I've looked at the companies I've invested and it's when you meet the teams, you meet the entrepreneurs and you think that's exciting and maybe I could help them. And I learned this phrase in the US of smart money, which means you invest but you also help the company and I actually enjoy doing that some people don't some people put the money in and just sort of leave it there and are not active but in my investments or with my investments I do help most of them to a certain degree.
0: You talked about smart money so the founders are valuing you for much more than I suppose just the money that you put in yeah. and 50% of your day or your week is spent on the support of your portfolio companies and mentoring entrepreneurs how involved do you get with all of these do you join the board do you you know take time out to speak to the founders
1: joining the board is quite a a big thing to do I'm on the formal board of two of mine and I've invested in 18 companies I I did some research before this of course on my gosh that's a
0: lot (laughs) portfolio
1: two two of exited, so I'm not involved anymore. Two, I'm actually on the board, and a couple of advisory boards, but it's ad hoc help. And it ranges depending on the team. So a lot of it's light touch. And what they particularly... What I could particularly offer is not so much business advice, and I've never scaled a company. I think that's tremendously important to get people to advise you who've scaled a company. I've never done that. But I do have networks in the NHS and in the US health system, so they want sector knowledge, deep sector knowledge of how the sector works and how the financial systems work, and they want contacts. It's, it's, and they want turbo contacts, because getting in the NHS, you can send 1,700 emails to the wrong people but if you get the right recommendation and support to get to the right person it saves a lot of time and it's very valuable so I do that sort of thing.
0: You now mentioned the elephant in the room in startup land which is often the NHS because lots of VCs won't even you know, talk to a startup if they're saying look we're trying to sell into the NHS so what's your experience of that and is there any new advice that you can uh, to provide to startups around this?
1: Yeah this is a, this is a good topic it, it's a bit of a sort of limited op- opinion or limited base for judgment when VCs say they they won't touch a company that says it's going to get into the NHS. I can understand it because... Ha- um, having worked with a lot of American companies who want to understand the NHS, they think because it's a national system, there's one decision, and they meet one person in number 10 they go, that's it, the deal's done. Mm. And it couldn't be further from the truth because you have to access the NHS at all levels. You have to have key opinion leaders clinically supporting your product or software. So it's a multi-pronged approach, and it takes a lot longer than people think. Once you've cracked the NHS in some form then it's a very good imprimatur for going to other countries because people still, with all its its faults, people still follow the NHS. So in some ways, it's very much worth the effort of getting in. But if you're not ready for it and you're naive, I can see why some investors uh, would avoid it. Uh, If you crack it, it's a pretty good nut to crack as a market.
0: You mentioned that you were part of the Cambridge Angels, which for people who are listening is an angel investor network based out of Cambridge. What's the benefit of joining a group like that, working as a group as opposed to being more of an independent operator in the angel investing space?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. When I joined Cambridge Angels, there were 60 men and no women. Wow. um, Which is a bit of a shocker. Sherry Kutu had been a founder and she'd gone on to, lots of other things, tremendously successful. And they had another woman involved, but I was not nearly as experienced as most of the members when I joined, but you can tell <laughs> might've wanted a woman. And also I was in this digital health tech space, which was of interest. And to be fair, I was enthusiastic. The depth of knowledge in Cambridge Angels is extraordinary. Just in a the guy who sold Alexa to Amazon, Andy Richards, who's a legend in the life science investment scene, a lot of the founders of Arm are in it. That's one thing you get with a good group, you get tremendous knowledge base of different sectors. They share their expertise, hugely generous with their knowledge and expertise. So I've learned a lot. And I can email around and go, does anybody know a good company doing pay evaluation in startups? And I'll get loads of replies. So it's great knowledge for me, selfishly. Mm-hmm. It de-risks your investment. You've got a lot of very wise people, knowledgeable people looking at a company and giving their opinions. So if a company gets through that process, it de-risks it. I do emphasize how much I've learned from, from my colleagues and it's good fun.
0: That sounds like an incredible network to be part of. I also wanted to ask you a bit about your link to Cambridge, because you're on the board oh. of the Cambridge Tech Transfer. You founded the Cambridge Health Network. What, what, what's that all about? Oh, that's good, because I live in London.
1: But um, <laughs> uh, it all happened because a very good friend of mine, Professor Sandra Dawson, went from Imperial to run the Judge Business School. And I followed as a fellow. I've been a fellow there for over 20 years. So we started to do executive education, teaching on health systems to experienced people based in Cambridge. It's pretty academic, the business school. So I act as a sort of conduit to the market for the professors and academics at the business school. I now teach on the MBA. I do a, huh. an elective on how health systems work. The nice thing is half my students probably have a health background of some sort pharma, (coughs) um, biotech, engineering, and as well as health systems. But probably just less than half of them want to find out about health because it's a sector that's probably the fastest growing now after COVID. So there's lots of interesting careers and jobs in it. So I teach on the MBA. And then I got asked to join (coughs) the investment committee of the university's tech transfer company, again, representing the health system rather than all the other disciplines. Penny Dash and I set up Cambridge Health Network, which pretty much meets in London, but we set it up out of the judge for about 15 years ago to bring together senior people in the health sector, and private and public sector.
0: I was going to move on to ask you, you about your specific company. So a couple of years ago, you were in the Sunday Times Angel Investor There was a column you were were interviewed there, and they mentioned that you've invested in Chiron, which is artificial intelligence for mammograms to detect breast breast cancer, and then RareMark, which is a rare disease information provider. What other kinds of companies have you invested in in healthcare, and what has drawn you to them?
1: Wellframe, the one in the US, is a platform that connects patients and clinicians outside a hospital with inside the hospital which doesn't sound much so different in the NHS but it's quite different there I invested in that kind of the founders this mm. is the theme it's usually the founders and the team as well as the idea you have mentioned rare mark oh you motif is a way that patients record their own symptoms into an app and it's a very elegantly designed app you may have heard of that again yeah. Bruce Hellman the founder was a part of the reason oh Viva's a a sort of dietetics software program I really like the people in that also it was de-risked as it were because they operate in the UK Switzerland Germany and France so it's interesting to have a bit of a spread you're not entirely dependent on the NHS Acurix you've heard of Acurix yes yes I was told I was mad by a very (laughs) senior investor investing in Acurix and I'm so glad I did it and again The founder Jacob my dad, who's extraordinary, they've completely switched their or pivoted trendy word their business model, and they've raised a huge amount of money relative to mine in their second round, and they're doing very well. Uh, Carol Medical, you've mentioned again. I thought that was a incredible idea and a really good team. I invested in a wrote, something called Rotor Geek, founded by an anesthetist, mm. and. Uh, they got fed up of the NHS. It's a sort of um, measures, footfall or however you measure how many people are using your service, flips forward to the next week or two weeks and tells you as a company or an organisation what staff you need. And they've gone out of the NHS into retail. But I met them, again, because of a junior doctor founder. Mm. Care rooms is a great idea. It's like Care b and I'm going through some of them. Uh, Vine Health, I think, which yes. is cancer, sort of connecting patients with clinicians and will work with CROs so I could go on uh, Medifor I'm chairing the board of Medifor which is a software platform in virtual outpatients and we've just raised uh, quite a lot of money that's been a massive amount of time but it, it is when you chair a company and the latest one is Pexi, which is femtech hot area which is personalization of analysis of your hormones as a woman and it, I think that's got a lot of potential
0: I have heard of the term femtech, and I'm not sure I really like it. Obviously, it's really important. Women are 50% of the world. Lots of female products are either procured by or designed by men. We need to improve that, and I agree. But just, I don't know what it is about that word. I think it sounds slightly pejorative. I don't know what what you think.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think it's been around for four or five years, and I think we'll go beyond that, won't we? Yes, I agree. I think it is slightly pejorative. But I probably, talk too long about the various companies but what i would say is and i've said it before already today that it the founders are so terribly important and i have found now that all invest angel investors say the same i used to think it was just me but it's the founding
0: team closely followed by their product and market Mm. so on that point obviously you've seen loads of founders what are the characteristics of a really great founder in your view Mm. They have to be absolutely passionate about
1: what they're doing in their product service. And they have to, They clearly goes with that. They all work all hours. I think willingness to listen, there's an issue with startups that the founder doesn't always go on to be the chief executive in the scale-up phase. I think they have to realise they be with the company, but they may not be running it because scaling up yeah. is different from the first bootstrap years of entrepreneur and setting it up. Yeah. They have to be very good with people and hire people better themselves, which is so easy to say, but it's difficult to do. So a lot of it is general management stuff, but I, I, I do think they also have to... The good founders, if they find that there's somebody on their team, even their co-founder or even investor is not right, they should dump them sooner rather than later. Don't wait. If this doesn't feel right, then get rid of that relationship or, or terminate the relationship. I think you have to act fast and have the insight to do that sort of termination of relationship if it's not going well.
0: Founders really worry about pitching and you must have seen loads of pitches in your time. What makes a great pitch It's clarity
1: and passion about what you're doing. Don't overload us with too many slides. I'll tell you what I see missing. A good competitive analysis is often missing. A serious competitive analysis of who else is thinking about this or is going to come in and do the same, because I think some founders are deluded, they're the only ones. So a good competitive analysis. To angel investors, the other missing thing is even if you're very new, what's your exit plan? Because people like me and other angel investors want to get their money out eventually. Uh, people pitching tend to say, oh, we're going to sell in five years if they do have an exit plan. It never happens. It's nine or 10 or 11 years, I find. But it, it, it's, it, you have to show that you've thought about that trajectory. In terms of projected revenues, we all laugh because there are always a hockey stick graph going yes. right at the top right-hand corner. But with angel investments, there's no track record, so you can't really judge whether they're going to hit those revenues. But show that you've got some thought and some good assumptions behind your revenue projections. And I think I do look for if you've got advisors – I think earlier rather than later to get some good advisors on board. Not necessarily a formal advisory board, but you've got some serious credible advisors that really helps as well.
0: And you talked about and um, the exit taking a lot longer and this is something that you know, I'm really passionate about because in healthcare it does take time because it's a complex regulated landscape and you know all the stakeholders are different and have different incentives. I think founders often don't realize that either when you're starting, especially if you're not from the healthcare environment yourself some people tend not to listen because they're
1: they're very excited about what they're doing but i say do you do you really think that will happen there's one company i've invested in is two co-founders who deliberately try to sell the company they've developed it's med tech to one of the big med tech giants three years after starting Mm. and that is their strategy and that's quite impressive because it's very focused much more often you get founders who say, uh, we're going to IPO, and you laugh. It would be fantastic if we had more unicorns over here. Fantastic if we had more IPOs in in health in, in any sector. And you have to admire their ambition, but yeah, they, I do say to them, do, do you really think it's gonna be five years? I've found it's often quite a lot longer than that, but you can't fault their ambition. <laughs>
0: yes also true we talked about a bit about VCs coming on later on into companies and how do you as an angel investor interact with the bigger VCs who come in at later rounds how is that relationship yeah I do
1: I'm actually on the board of one of Albion Capital's venture capital trusts yeah and winding back I used to, because health was starting to become of interest, I I started meeting private equity people, and I didn't like them very much. (laughs) Um, And even though I invest in health and I'm in the private sector, I care about the sector I'm in, and I do care about patients and that these companies might actually help. I didn't tend to find that. Now, I then... I then discovered that not all PE and VC are the same and there are some really good venture capital companies and private equity companies. I tend to make judgments about who's good or not. Do I like the people? Do I like their values uh, and their investment theses? Venture capitalists do like angel investors and they like successful ones. So we tend to get approached and some companies like Atomico, which has a lot of money. Atomico has a group of angels every year that they will give a little bit of money to to 100k to invest where they want. I, I'm not one of those, but they do connect with angels. I've been approached by quite a lot of VCs about being in an angel group, coming to discussions. And again, if you like them and feel that they've got some interesting things to offer, you might go along. But sometimes you think this is a one-way relationship, really. They're wanting deal flow and they want an angel to be screening for them. So I don't blame them. But I think as an angel, you have to make sure you're working with people that you have some commonality of values with in your investments.
0: Moving on from your work, one of the things that really struck me about you is, you know, how broad and incredible your network is, and how wonderfully helpful you are to others. So, I I just was reflecting on this today before our call, and it reminded me of Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, where where he talks about these super connectors who are important network hubs to, you know, facilitate relationships across sector and cross network. And I think you know, this is you. I wanted to see if you had any advice on how you managed to keep track on these um, incredibly broad networks. I think it must be a gene. And, and also, I remember
1: people, I remember faces, I remember backgrounds. And my husband always says, how do you remember that? I think it's, that part of that is a gene. <laughs> um, my very distinguished friend, Sir Cyril Chantler, wanted to introduce me to somebody and said, oh, you must meet Pam. She knows everybody. And I said, yeah, I have no intellectual contribution to make. Cyril, is that right? I just know everybody, meaning it <laughs> like that. But in fact, I am, as the Americans say, a mile wide and an inch deep. I know a little bit about a lot of things, but I, if you scratch the surface, I don't know a lot in depth. But am sure
0: that's not true. I'm sure that's not the people. case.
1: I love, I'm a wild extrovert. I hate lockdown. I love meeting people. And I do remember you know, what people do. And I think that I like to think I know good people. And a lot of my friends say, why do you mentor all these young people? Um, Mm. They don't say it quite pejoratively is that, but I really enjoy it. I get a lot of energy from it. I very much enjoy working with young people, but I do get a lot of stick from my age group about it.
0: One of the things I found striking in your network is that there are a lot of people who are often much younger than you in it. How do you suggest that other people start reaching out to people who are younger than them?
1: I think if somebody's helped you in your career, and certainly a lot of people helped me, you think you should give back. I do. I do like that. Mm. I, but also, you learn a lot. You learn a lot about what's going on. And I say to people that I help. There's one guy help get get a job in Kaiser. He's still there. A Brit, and he, he lives up to everything because I said to him when he was twenty one, you've got to keep in touch. So. People do keep in touch and let me know how their career is going. Sometimes that's very helpful to me. I do learn a lot from what they're doing, whether they're in government or the NHS or a startup or Kaiser in the US. And I suppose I do put quite a lot of effort into keeping in touch, but I think you have to enjoy it. So somebody said, can you teach me how to network? And I ended up thinking, no, I can't really. <laughs> uh, I think if, if you are a, a, a wild introvert, you can learn the social behaviors of Talk, talking in groups walking into a busy room which of course a lot of people hate yeah you can learn that but what gets you up in the morning i'd rather get up in the morning and go and meet five people and have sequential breakfast and chat and other people would just rather sit in their office going through the latest business plan. i'm just the former and i think a lot
0: of it is inbuilt but you can you can learn it i also am an extrovert and you love meeting people so i don't find going into a room full of people scary but i imagine that there are lots of people who that is a challenge for and it's the social anxiety attached to it etc do you think that there's a value in teaching how to network
1: there is some i think there might be some value in it yeah in the basics i am slightly skeptical i've said to a couple of my startups if somebody helps you you have this is so basic. you have to say thank you and yeah. get back to them yeah. and because a lot of nerdy scientists, found companies or engineers and I I think they don't realize the importance of keeping your connections live and ready to help you and people who you do favors for are ready to help you. If you have goodwill out there in a network it does help a lot Uh, and keep actually relates to founders and angel investing. I was talking to some Cambridge Angels colleagues about how often they get updates from their companies it's very important to have formal and informal updates from the founder to the investors. And I think some founders think, oh, that's it, job done, raised them round. But you really have to keep in touch.
0: That's a really good point. We're getting towards the end of wrapping up. And I wanted to touch on something you've mentioned before, which is really important to me as well, which is the lack of women in health tech and also in investing. And I wanted to hear about your view and see what we can do to redress the balance.
1: Yeah, it. The statistics are really sad, aren't they? About mm. both percentage of angel investors and percentage of companies. In fact, though Fiona, I think health is better than engineering, AI, quantum computing, etc. I think health generally has more women in it. We've got over half women doctors in this country, and I think health is better than other sectors. I do encourage people as I've said to become angel investors uh, my women friends because they haven't really thought of it a lot of them yeah I I try on that and 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 in terms of women setting up companies and women generally applying for jobs I always say what's the worst that's going to happen you don't you won't get the job you get some interview experience your company might not work but you'll know you've tried I think there's that there's that kick up the backside, as it were, that women sometimes need because they lack confidence, even super smart women. I think women need that help just to push them to say, just go and do it. It doesn't matter if it doesn't work. I think it's a long haul. We need lots of mentors and role models and we need to get out there. And it's a long haul that needs a lot of work. I don't think it's a one shot deal. I don't know what you think.
0: Lots of my investments, actually, in the deep tech space in healthcare. So there it is a lot of men because it's AI, it's people with PhDs, postdocs, etc. So I don't see a lot of female founders, which is why I'm trying to move into the more digital health space so I can back some great female founders. I've mentioned this somewhere else before, but one of the companies I've invested in, they're a vaginal microbiome company. And she said before she went into a pitch, someone said to her, don't mention the word vagina.
1: Yeah. yeah i've heard those stories
0: <laughs> <laughs> without banging on the femtech drum too much it is important that we can talk about and be open about what we're investing in etc and i think representation and visibility is so important because whether you're a founder or an investor or wanting to be one of those you might not feel you can if there's no one like you out there i tell, I tell you what
1: i do when people ask me to look at decks yeah a lot and these can be bigger companies as well as startups and i say there's no women on the board. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the me too. The <laughs> first woman is a researcher over here, about 17 layers down. Yeah, I say healthcare is a very female sort of sector. I think probably you should do something about that. And and the worst ones are the ones you haven't noticed. A lot yeah. of them go, oh yes, we're going to go, we're going to get a lady. And I say don't call them ladies. But I think I constantly call people out. And
0: Cambridge Angels, to its credit. We've done a lot recently. Just to, to wrap up, do you have any advice for people who are thinking about starting a startup, or those who are thinking about getting into investing? Oh, founding a company.
1: There's so many great accelerators out there. Health. I've mentioned a couple of the NHS ones, but there's Entrepreneur First and Wire. All sorts of accelerators. textiles. You can keep applying for those. So. That an and entrepreneur first is where you meet your co founder so you don't even need a co-founder so I'd look at those I'd go and talk to a lot of people as a founder you know to check out your idea and your sector and your market and then you have to find some bootstrap money from somewhere and um, oh, apply for lots of grants there's some great grants around in terms of getting into angel investing I think I've said it really it's to, yeah we as angel investors have to make people aware because I've got Several friends my age, uh, women and men, who are looking at me going, oh, Well, it's fun, and haven't even thought of risking part of their. We're the boomers, we're the asset grabbers, we've got lots of money, some of them, many more than me. I think it's just making them aware also of the considerable tax relief in this country with EIS and SEIS, which doesn't exist in the States, uh, but it's very tax advantageous. So I think it's just getting the message out there and letting people know it's not just Dragon's Den because that's what everyone says. Oh, it's like Dragon's Den. I go, yeah, it's a bit like that, but it's a bit more serious. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much, Pam, for coming today. I really appreciate your time. It's a pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Also head to the show notes to follow us on social media for all the latest content in health tech.